Good evening. In the book of Psalms, chapter 73. Psalms, chapter 73. I'll read that psalm in just a moment. Someone might ask, did people who lived in Bible times ever just get down, depressed? Did God's people ever suffer what could be called depression? And the answer is yes. There are cases in the life of David and Elijah, just to name two. Those are well-known cases where men suffered such great sadness and grief, they were virtually paralyzed for a time. David, after his sin, Elijah, after a very great dynamic victory, was down. Not as well known as this man, Asaph, who lived in the time of David and Solomon, a Levite who worked in the temple and a Hebrew song leader. In addition to that assigned function, God used him to write some of the psalms David collected into this book. Well, this psalm is very personal. He tells his own story to his readers, and he lets his readers listen to him speak to God. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind, Therefore, pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice, loftily they threat oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly. You set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. 
like a dream when one awakes O Lord when you rouse yourself you despise them as phantoms when my soul was embittered when I was pricked in heart I was brutish and ignorant I was like a beast toward you nevertheless I am continually with you you hold my right hand you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever for behold those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you but for me it is good to be near God I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works there may be in our minds or in the minds of people we know a rather romantic and unrealistic view of the writers of the Bible we may incorrectly think of these writers as perfectly righteous extraordinary super spiritual people who lived in some isolated higher level status separated from the tough realities of life on earth people who automatically received immediate help every time their mood dropped if you think that about the writers of the Bible you need to devote some time to the book of Ecclesiastes or maybe the account of Simon Peter in the New Testament become acquainted with David read the book of Jeremiah and Lamentation see God chose ordinary people and supplied them with extraordinary gifts to reveal his word to those people in their time and to us but they were still real people these writers who had to make choices and navigate daily life with all the difficulties and with all the mistakes that they engaged in these people who were involved in writing scripture were like us had the capacity to make choices they made mistakes they entertained attitudes and thoughts which were off base not one writer of the Bible was perfect and sinless only those in heaven who were the origin of what we have perfect and sinless the product of the writers of the Bible was exactly what God wanted it to be but they were free moral agents who lived through a variety of earthly struggles like me and like you and to our benefit God allowed them to tell their stories of grief and doubt and weakness and Asaph here tells his story to his readers <coughs> and he lets us listen in as he addresses God in the 73rd Psalm and I want us to concentrate tonight on six insights Asaph conveys to us in the text I'm not suggesting these are the only Asa, uh, insights that we might discover in the text 
but there are six we're going to look at during our time this evening. Number one, apologize for the small font, but the PA is working well. Number one, God is good to those who are pure in heart. In uh, verse one, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. In verse 23, he says, I'm continually with you who hold my right hand. Likewise, in verse 24 and 26, God is good is a very simple premise in the 73rd Psalm. And I believe the evidence is that Asaph always knew this about God. Uh, he was not an ignorant man. He went through a period of depression and doubt. He documents that. He let envy nudge him away from the fullness of faith. But he always knew this in his heart. He held this to be true of God. God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Now, how that goodness worked out on earth and why the unrighteous appeared to be doing so much better, he grappled with that for a time. He exaggerated the seemingly beautiful, carefree life of the wicked. And he reports to us that in this envy and depression, he says, my feet almost stumbled. But there's no evidence that he ever flatly denied God or God's existence. He wasn't ignorant of God's goodness. And once he got out of this valley of doubt, he stated what he always knew. Verse 23, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. So his concepts were clear, even though his emotions and attitudes were turning for a time that he documents here in a wrong direction. Some people have very clear concepts, but the concepts are not well attached to their attitudes. And it leads them into periods of doubt. There are people who know the truth about God, but their attitudes are not always aligned with what they know the truth is about God. Asaph wants us to concentrate on this very simple truth. God is good to those who are pure in heart in his time in his ways. God defines goodness by who he is. He is consistently and perfectly good. He is good in spite of our sin and our neglect of him. The testimony of nature and the testimony of scripture supplemented, uh, supplemented by our experience is that God is good. Psalms 136.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Romans 2 and verse 4 teaches God's goodness toward us is of such magnitude when we appreciate it, it can lead us out of sin to repentance through Christ into fellowship with God. Asaph knew and we know God is Good. May I please add this, though I think we all know it. God is good all the time. He's good all the time. 
when someone gets over an illness, when someone is declared to be cancer-free, when someone comes out of an injury or a major surgery and they're doing well, at that time, we are often inclined to say that God is good and we are correct in that. I think we need to understand while you have cancer and if you never get over it, God is still good because there's something after cancer. God is good. Comparisons can lead to bitterness and envy. And Asaph documents this beginning in verse 2 and down through verse 16. I'm not going to read all of that, but you see what he says there. He talks about how well wicked people were doing. He calls it in verse 3, the prosperity of the wicked. And he says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then Asaph goes through these statements of exaggeration. They have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. He goes through this <coughs> incorrect thinking, this ill-conceived idea that wicked people, sinners, they're just doing great. They're just doing great. These are comparisons that are earthbound. And they do us no good. And they can lead to bitter envy. Earthbound envy producing comparisons. It goes something like this. I'm a Christian and I'm doing what's right. I go to the church building every time the door is open and I do to the best of my ability what I ought to do. I don't break the commandments. I attend all the assemblies. I give and I help people and I read my Bible and I listen to preachers. And across the street from my house, there are people who have no interest in spiritual matters, no interest in Christ. And they eat and drink and they, they are fat and they party and they are rich and they have nice things. And nothing bad ever seems to happen to them. So we make these earthbound, faulty comparisons. We exaggerate and then we bemoan our earthly disadvantages without well considering our spiritual advantages when we are serving God. And the exaggeration, if it were worded today, might sound something like this. These people who are not Christians never get sick. Their cars never break down. Their appliances always work. They have it so good, and yet they care nothing about God. You see what's happening? Earth-bound, envy-producing comparisons that always seem to lead to ridiculous exaggerations. People who are not Christians never get sick. Have you ever been to the hospital? People who are not Christians never have cars to break down. We exaggerate and we engage in hyperbole. And it doesn't take us ever to any good place. And it clouds up our faith. 
and it, it is short-sighted. These kinds of earthbound comparisons are tempting, especially if things are not working out that well. If your car is broken down and all, all the sinners are just whizzing by you, there's temptation to think in that manner. But these are temporal, earthbound, envy-producing comparisons. I read a commentary one time about Isaiah 73, and the commentator said, Asaph looked around at life on earth with eyeballs only, not the eyes of faith. He only looked at the earthly, the horizontal, and it led him to envy. Earthbound comparisons are not accurate, not objective, extremely limited, immature, and destructive. Don't go there. It is a waste of your time. What you want to do is, we studied this morning in Jude, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's never a waste of time. Keep yourself from being disillusioned by keeping yourself in the love of God. Never ignore the final outcome. As Asaph gives us his testimony, he admits that part of his depression, part of his low time was, he viewed the wicked only in terms of their earthly condition, not their final outcome. We can come into the presence of the Lord in worship and prayer and study and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from the New Testament and we can resist doubts and foolish comparisons. But if we don't go there, if we don't feed ourselves and nourish ourselves, if we make earthbound comparisons that produce envy and we forget that God is good then sometimes we can forget that there is a final reckoning for those people whose cars pass us by, who party all night long. Never forget the final outcome. See, Asaph decided that at some point he needed to go into the sanctuary of God. That doesn't necessarily mean a physical place. Go into the presence of God, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. You, the older translations will say, I discerned or I considered their latter end. You know what that means? Where are they headed? Where are they headed? And you'll look please at 18 through 20. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Likewise, in verse 27, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. So, a leading question is, do you really want your wicked neighbor's life knowing where wickedness is headed? You have a co-worker or a friend who engages in sin and they seem to be having a great time and they seem to be doing well. Do you want their final outcome? 
according to what the Bible says. So Asaph is saying to himself, if I may paraphrase, they have smooth lives. They never get sick. Their car always starts. Okay, their chariot always starts. Never any trouble. But then he went into the presence of God and he thought about where are these people headed? Consider their latter end. And at the same time, plug into that thought, Hebrews eleven sixteen. we desire a better country that is heavenly. I've got a few more points to make about this that will not require as much time. Number four, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. What a thought that brought Asaph out of this season of doubt where he was slipping around. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I may not have all the nice things that I think all the alien sinners enjoy. I may not experience the adventures <coughs> that I think everybody has uh, that, that I perceive that are so good. I may not have perfect health or wealth. But here's what I've got. God through Jesus Christ. So I press on toward the goal under the prize of the upward call of the calling of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. Nothing on earth brings into your life what God says he can bring into your future and your eternity through Jesus Christ. Earth holds no treasure but perish with using however precious they be. Yet there's a country to which I'm going. Heaven holds all to me. So it is good to be near God. Verse 28. Now, it's good to have a nice car. A nice house or apartment. Maybe a little extra money in the bank. Good health report, adventure, peace, success, lots of friends. I think we all know that's good. It's all right to have all that if you earned it honestly and if it doesn't hold you hostage. But what's really good is to be close to God. James 4 and verse 8 tells us if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Ephesians 2.13 tells us Jesus died so we could be near to God. In baptism we step out of sin through Christ into fellowship with God and that's good. It'll always be good. After baptism you can walk in the light as God is in the light. As our brother read to us in the passage he read this morning. That's all good. It will always be good. Nearness to God. I'll tell you we can take that with us from the building into life. Asaph said, I may tell of all your works. You know what that is? That's evangelism. I know how good God is. I know how great the gospel is. I know how great Jesus Christ is. I know how good the writings of the Holy Spirit are. I'm going to tell folks. 
That's evangelism. And that's what I need to do and what you need to do. That's evangelism. And here's how I need to interrogate myself. If I'm convinced that God is good, if I'm good and solid about that truth, am I telling others about what I appreciate? This is an evangelistic statement right in the middle of the Old Testament. I'm going to tell others the good that I have experienced in God. Now, for a time when Asaph was going through all this depression and doubt and he was on this slippery slope away from God, when he was going through all that, he said to himself, I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to tell people what I'm thinking. But then he came to a place where he came out of that and back into his appreciation for the goodness of God. And he said, I'm going to tell people that. You know, I read this a few weeks ago. One of the godliest things you can do when you're irate and bitter and living in envy and unjust suffering is just covering you up. One of the best things you can do, keep your mouth shut. Don't give people a transfusion of bad blood. If you have bitterness and envy and you're discontent and you're covered up in all of this doubt and depression, don't share that. When you come out of it and back into your full appreciation for the goodness of God, that's what you share. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 now in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what we need to share. That's what we need to share. And we need to keep sharing that and keep living that way. And we need to find opportunity. I need to find opportunity this week to tell somebody how good God is. We need to say to somebody, for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Psalms 73. Read it this next week and let's do our best to live it. Let's be standing while we sing.